Um, I'm gonna talk today about corporate apologies, CEO apologies in particular, and I wanna make the case that they are sort of distinct beasts, so I don't think they have anything to do really with forgiveness, um, for example. I think they have nothing to do with remorse. I think they have a legitimate connection with brand preservation and preserving the trust of actual and potential stakeholders. Um, so um, I think that Nick's warning yesterday in his keynote that these apologies are really complex beasts is well taken because there's a tendency to extrapolate from what we think we know about interpersonal apologies and take that up to the collective apology level or the corporate level. I think it's just uh, kind of a category mistake. So I take an apology to roughly be a verbal exchange which someone who is perceived as having caused harm or offense to a second party speaks and behaves in a way that allows for a future reconciliation between the offender and those he or she is harmed. So in answer to Teddy's question yesterday, I don't think they're necessarily designed to stop um, harm, but maybe to pave the way, more of a kind of reparative um, approach is the way I understand apologies. Um, now, when you talk about a CEO apology right away, you see things begin to be complex because I would distinguish two kinds of CEO apologies. There's the apology by a CEO for a perceived offense personally committed while the CEO was in office. So for example, Martha Stewart, after she was indicted for um, obstruction of justice, had to give a personal apology for what she did. Um, I distinguish that from an apology by a CEO as loosely speaking, a representative of the firm, maybe an agent of the firm. I mean, we could argue about the language here, but I think you can see where I'm going for a perceived injury that the public attributes to the CEO's firm. So no one thought Tony Hayward himself somehow you know, damaged the Deep Horizon um, rig. You know, he wasn't personally involved in that kind of way, but BP was perceived as a player with the um, disaster. So my main focus is going to be on um, the, the latter kind of apology. Now I think that there are better and worse apologies, so I'm talking about an ethically good apology but probably more in the sense of a regulative ideal, again, to use Nick's language from yesterday, because I think the apologies are really, um, it, they occupy a huge range here of um, uh, embodying of elements that I think are desirable in a corporate apology. Um, I'll say at the end of the talk a bit about some empirical work that I've done with Maria Goranova at the University of Wisconsin, where we, where we coded apologies. We had over 100 CEO apologies using this framework. And then we used data from the Center for Research into Security Prices, CRISP, to see how the market um, responded to better and worse apologies. And I had someone from the press say, well, give me an example of a really great apology that got eight points. I said, well, we didn't have any. You know, for us, a, a kind of good apology was in the four to six range. So um, I, I'm really setting up a framework here that this meant to get us thinking. I, I don't have any illusions to think that the only you know, worthwhile apologies are going to hit all eight of the criteria. And I also think it goes without saying that I'm really interested in how in principle an apology should be structured. I think we have to be really careful in talking about efficacy of apologies because there are many people who for whatever reason just don't want to accept an apology. You know, maybe they want to hold on to their anger. In some cases, maybe they think the apology wasn't adequate. Um, or, you know, to go to the example of the Donald Trump demands for apology. I was thinking last night, even if someone apologized to Donald Trump, would he accept the apology? And I think that's really an open question. So you'll see in the video I'm going to show at the end where we're uh, looking at some real-time responses of people in terms of how they view the trustworthiness of the CEO that according to the consulting firm that did these analyses, if you get 60% of the people 
thinking you're pretty trustworthy. That's a home run in corporate apology world and maybe in the other apology world too. So the media curves don't even take it up to 80%. 60% is about the most you're going to expect of people thinking that the apology is trustworthy. So I think that a lot of the theorizing is kind of shoddy because it assumes that we can get up to 100% and, and I don't think we can do anything like that. I think we can talk about how something is in principle capable of maybe advancing trust and reconciliation, but I don't think you can guarantee uh, that people are going to accept the apology. So I use Aristotle's rhetorical framework kind of loosely to say that there are three elements that I think are interested in, interesting if you analyze the structure of the apology. The logos, which is the logical or content requirements. Um, the ethos, which is the character conveyed through the CEO role, what is said, and through the manner in which the comments are given. Um, and then the pathos or the emotional connection the speaker forges with the audience. Um, and that connection depends upon recognizing that the audience typically brings fear and anxiety, I think, to a corporate, maybe fear and anger to a corporate apology. People are angry at um, what they perceive as uh, wrongdoing, maybe a substantial damage. If you lived on the Gulf um, and you saw your livelihood disappear because of the huge oil spill, you have a lot of anger. And in some cases, there's a lot of fear. I mean, I've talked to people who have Volkswagens and they're kind of fearful about even driving their car. So um, those would be uh, aspects of the, uh, of the pathos here. So quickly going through the logical content requirements, I think you have to name the perceived wrongdoing or harm for which the apologizing CEO and the firm accept responsibility to ameliorate or rectify any harm. So here it really um, matters that <laughs> the CEO name the harm because if you're going to reestablish trust between the audience and the CEO, you at least at a minimum, a logical requirement is you have to know you're talking about the same thing. So if, if the CEO is apologizing for A, but the audience thinks that the wrongdoing is B, you clearly are going to have some problem getting the apology to work. So the example that came up yesterday was the priest who abused the children but who only apologized for breaking the vow of chastity. That would be a kind of um, problem with naming the perceived wrongdoing. Um, so here would be what I would consider a bad apology. The Citibank CEO, Chuck Prince, before Congress, if you look at that testimony in the US of the CEOs appearing before Congress, it's just a mine for people who are interested in corporate uh, apologies. He says, let me start by saying I'm sorry. I'm sorry the financial crisis is such a, has had such a devastating impact for our country. Really, subtext not for me, but for the rest of you schmoes. I'm sorry about the millions of people, average Americans who lost their homes. And I'm sorry that our management team, starting with me, like so many others, could not see the unprecedented market collapse that lay before us. So you know, here you have no mention of the mortgage-backed security uh, machinations. You have nothing said about the compromising of the accrediting firms. Instead, he's really apologizing for not being God, that he couldn't foresee everything. And so people immediately said, well, you know, there's, this is, doesn't meet the logical requirement is the way I would paraphrase because he's not naming the wrongdoing. I think Chrysler CEO Leah Iacocca's apology years ago um, for the Chrysler dealers who had been um, disconnecting odometers, driving the cars and reconnecting the odometers and selling this new. He just said disconnecting odometers is a lousy idea. That's a mistake we're not going to be making again at Chrysler, period. Right there. There's the, there's the offense. And incidentally, if you do this presentation or this kind of presentation, you ask students to vote with their phones or business people. Um, I usually use some kind of poll everywhere, technology. 
you know, you'll, you will consistently have people saying this is the worst apology. I mean, it's, it's not even close. 80 to 90% of people will say that this is the better apology. Again, it's not 100%, interestingly, but, you know, I think that there's a widespread perception that the second is better. Um, then I think you have to take responsibility for addressing the harmful effects of the perceived wrongdoing. You know, I don't say that you have to, as a corporate CEO, say that you're the cause of the problem. I think that's a category mistake, again, to demand that in the content, because as Hank Shea, the federal prosecutor, I interviewed him in um, Minneapolis, said he works with white-collar criminals and all kinds of disasters. You're just not going to have people admitting legal liability because causality is litigated. We still don't know for sure, I think, in the BP or the Deep Horizon disaster what exactly BP's role is. That's working its way through the, through the court system. So there's a difference between corporate apologies then and collective apologies or personal apologies where you know who the agent who was who caused the wrongdoing or you at least have some ideas about how to begin to answer that question maybe using historical text in, in the US legal system this, these things are going to tend to be litigated um, so here you have someone um, owning up to um, uh, trying to clarify the confusion that he had caused um, this was the CEO uh, Nardelli who mistakenly spoke about which which plant was going to be closed in Wisconsin. Of course, that was a huge mistake to make, and he had to go back and <laughs> rectify it. I was really struck with, I did this, I did that, I did that. Yeah. Okay, so next I would say that you have three requirements, um, regulative ideals, that have to do with the conveyance of character. And you'll notice that I don't have sincerity on this list at all. I think going down that sincerity rabbit hole is a mistake in corporate apologies and maybe even collective apologies. I think it makes sense when the interiority matters with personal um, apologies, but I don't think it makes a lot of sense in the case of um, um, corporate apologies. Basically, you want to apologize as promptly as possible. When TEPCO, Tokyo Electric Power Company, took six weeks after Fukushima for the CEO to make a statement, that was clearly way too long. I would say, you know, you in this social media world, you have to do it pretty quickly. Um, this would be more controversial, but I think you need to try to convey a just and settled character that the apology will, in fact, get somewhat discounted by the audience or certain members of the audience if you have a whole history of apologizing for exactly the same thing. So if you have the Xerox CEO apologizing three times for financial chicanery, the third time around, the audience's reaction is sort of, well, here we go again. So there's some kind of way in which the, the settled character of the speaker matters here. I think I can say a little bit more about that. I think there's even a problem with role contamination. If the prior CEOs have all been jerks or been problematic, whoever now occupies that role in the company, I think he or she has work cut out for him. But that's a kind of new idea on plan with role contamination. Um, then you have to create or choose a supportive Con, uh, consistent context. Um, if you make a mistake on this score, it suggests that maybe you're kind of clueless. So, for example, Toyota in front of the Senate gave, I thought, a pretty good apology about the problems Toyota was having with quality control. But then when he left the um, venue, he drove away in an Audi. And the press saw that. So, of course, you know, in a way, was he just clueless, in which case you can't kind of trust his uh, apology, or was he? was he liar when he said that the Toyotas were safe if he himself is leaving in an Audi. So the, the context here matters, I think, more in at least corporate apologies and people have paid attention to. And then lastly, um, I think it's helpful to deliver the apology in person um, because, again, it, sh it gives the audience someone with whom to bond and it 
also implicitly conveys character. There's some overlap here with ethos that you're eager to make things right, that you showed up. I think you need to exhibit empathy, and I don't mean by that like sort of crocodile-type tears, but you have to say something about you're aware of how your action has really incommoded or harmed people. Um, if you just sort of say mistakes were made or I'm sorry if you were inconvenienced, you don't have that kind of um, empathy that will allow the audience to take you seriously and want to reconcile with you. And then lastly, I think since you have to lay out things you're going to do to ameliorate the wrongdoing, even though you're not going to take cause of responsibility for it, I think you have to show some follow-through for it. So I've got two minutes left, so let me just quickly show what I think is a pretty decent corporate apology, and you're going to see real-time effect with, from an audience where the people have been given trustometers, um, mm -hmm. and um, we can see how my framework works to explain what we're going to see here. So um, this is the CEO of Mattel um, talking about the problems Mattel has had and is going to rectify. You'll remember they had a big problem with supply chains in China and lead-based um, paint and their toys. So um, Bob Eckert here is going to make this apology. And the blue is the male response and the pink is the female response. So that's also an interesting aspect. There's a gender dimension that people don't pay attention to. So it's here, levels of believability, which I take as kind of an index of, of trustworthiness. Hello, I'm Bob Eckert, Chairman and <laughs> yeah. Chief Executive Officer of Mattel. As a parent of four children myself, I know that absolutely nothing is more important than the safety and well-being of children. Mattel has recalled some toys for two different Right, so here you see the female you see the female response is stronger when he starts talking about children, but he's getting a kind of bump up, I think in part because there's empathy being described here that he's immediately sort of talking about the children and bringing them to the bring to the bring them to the front. Mattel has recalled some toys for two different reasons. One is impermissible use of lead paint. The other is for risks associated with small high-powered magnets. I want to ensure that every parent hears about these issues quickly, returns affected products to us, and knows that we've already taken significant actions to further ensure the safety of our toys. I can't change what has happened in the past, but I can change how we work in the future. For our manufacturing processes, we immediately implemented a strengthened three-point check system. First, we're testing paint in every single batch at every single vendor. If it doesn't pass, it doesn't get used. Second, we're testing every batch of finished toys to ensure compliance before they leave our control. Third, we've increased vendor inspections at vendor facilities throughout the production process. We've also met personally with our vendors to ensure they understand our tightened procedures and our absolute requirement for strict adherence. Yeah, okay, so I'll stop it there because we're sort of running out of time. But I thought it was interesting that um, it begins to dip when he makes general comments about we're going to you know, do better, but the minute it gets more specific, it begins to go back up. Um, he's got a little bit of a problem because saying that we're going to check our um, um, our suppliers was exactly what the problem was, that it turned out that Mattel had like 26 layers of suppliers. They only mm -hmm. thought they had two or three, but unbeknownst to them, 
the Chinese suppliers that subcontracted to subcontract to subcontract to subcontract. So maybe there's a little bit of a credibility issue here. But um, anyway, you can see that it's never, you know, it starts out close to 60%. It doesn't get back, you know, that high. But I still think it's not a bad apology. He showed up in person. He's aware of, of, the, of the harm. They're talking about what they're going to do going forward to try to make things uh, right. Um, they have kind of follow through plan. So, um, yeah, on my framework, that would score as you know a decent, a decent apology. Okay, so thank you very much for your interest.